0: If you have that passage that we looked at a moment ago open before you that would be helpful just for the short few minutes we're going to spend in Luke 24 this morning. Luke chapter 24. I think it's hard for us who live in a, a post-resurrection Christianity to understand what these days immediately after the resurrection of Jesus would have been like for the initial disciples. There were there were strange, strange, strange days. They, minus Jesus, or minus Judas, sorry, were the eleven disciples who had spent three years following Jesus around Israel. If you remember what they would have experienced in that time, they would have heard preaching like they'd never heard before. They'd have seen Jesus calm, calm the sea. That have seen him heal people from all sorts of different illnesses, that have heard his wonderful preaching, that have been coming to the conclusion that Jesus really was something special, that Jesus really was what he claimed to be, the Messiah, the promised one of God. But just a couple of days ago, on a Friday at noon, that dream died for them. The dream died as Jesus hung in agony on a Roman cross, and the dream was buried along with Jesus in a cave in a garden outside of Jerusalem. He wasn't the Messiah after all. They'd been taken in. That's what Jesus' disciples were thinking. Because they knew that if anyone is really the Messiah, if he's the chosen one of God, he won't be nailed to a cross and won't die. Since Friday, Jesus' disciples had been gathered together two full days now in a room behind closed doors, and they were keeping a low profile, and in a sense you can't blame them. They were probably trying to, to stay out of the public eye, worried that the same people who sat on Jesus would maybe set on them as his followers. Strange, strange days for these followers of Jesus. And today, this Sunday that we've been reading about here in Luke 24, has been another strange day. Early in the morning, some women had set off for Jesus' tomb with spices, and they'd come back talking some nonsense about Jesus having risen from the dead. Peter ran to the tomb to check to see what they'd been saying, and and sure enough, he had found strips of linen, Jesus' grave clothes, lying in an open and an empty tomb. Peter wasn't making any rash claims, but he said, yeah, you know, this is enough to have me thinking about all of this. But now this strangest of days had taken another bizarre turn. Cleopas and another one of his friends had just returned from the village of Emmaus, and they reckon that they met Jesus. They said that they were walking along the road and a stranger joined them, but that it wasn't until he shared a meal with them that they realized it was Jesus. It definitely was Jesus. You could tell, they said, by the way he broke the bread, by the way he gave thanks, and by the way he gave it to them. Then, as soon as they recognized him as Jesus, he disappeared from sight. And it's at this point that our reading picks up the story of Easter Sunday, really, The risen Jesus enters into the room where the disciples are gathered. Look with with me at verse 24. While they were still speaking like this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. For those gathered in this room, this is the first time they've seen Jesus. As I said, it's hard for us to get this because we have Easter Sunday morning in our heads, we we have rehearsed it for years, but for them, Jesus, whom they last saw or heard of nailed to a cross, comes and he stands in the room among them. Peace be with you. Whenever they first saw him, they thought he was a ghost, and you can hardly blame them, because they know what you and I know. Dead people don't come back. But Jesus wasn't a ghost. He let them touch him to make sure that he had a physical body. And as if to prove it, he ate a piece of fish to show that he was more than just a ghost or some sort of vapor. It's very, very hard for us to enter into the shock of what these disciples experienced that Easter Sunday evening. Whenever somebody who was dead comes and stands in the room with you, it's going to change the way you look at life forever. How did the risen Lord Jesus appearing in that room change life for these disciples? And how does it change life for us? That's what I want to spend just a few minutes thinking with you about this morning. Our passage this morning tells us that the whole message of Easter It it sort of summarizes it for us here in a few verses and tells us the implications, if you like, of Easter. First of all, it tells us that everything that the Bible said about Jesus must come true. Look with me at verse 44. Jesus says, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that was written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. What Jesus is saying here, very, very simply, he says, the whole Bible is about me. Everything that happens in the Bible is building up to my birth, my life, and my death. Everything is building up and pointing towards me. And it's important that every single thing the Bible says is proved to be accurate. That's the way God works. Whenever he plans something and tells us he's going to do it, he does it. No questions asked. Folks, I think it's important that we remember that when we think about Easter because whenever we come and read the events, especially of the the week leading up to Jesus' death, it doesn't look as though God is in control. It doesn't look as though things are working out the way God wants it to work out. But God's totally in control of everything that happens, even in Easter week. He planned that the crowd, do you remember the crowd standing before Pilate who said, no, we don't want, we don't want Jesus, we want Barabbas? That's, that's all God's will. God's hand is in that. Do you remember how Jesus suffered so dreadfully at the hands of the Roman soldiers? That's all been planned. That's all as God would have it to be. Everything that happened to Jesus his his suffering and his death happened because God loves us and because God wants to make a way for us to be right with him once more. It's been foretold in the prophets. It's the story of the whole Bible, and it must happen this way. But there's a second thing. The second thing that had to happen was that Jesus had to suffer and to rise from the dead. Look at verse 46. Again, Jesus is speaking, and he said, This is what is written the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. In the same way that the whole Bible has been focusing on Jesus, everything in Jesus' life focuses on these few days his death and his resurrection. Can you remember back to the very, very start of Jesus' public ministry? Jesus comes to John the Baptist to be baptized. And John the Baptist sees him coming in the distance. And he points and he says, Look, the Lamb of God. If Jesus said that in a world where people didn't have any sort of a background to that phrase, Lamb of God, if he said it in the corn market today, people might think, Oh, he must be a very cuddly sort of person, a bit like a a, a stuffed lamb or a bit like a teddy bear. That must be what he means, the Lamb of God, but of course, to the people of of John's day, they knew what, what that meant. They knew that lambs were bred for sacrifice in the temple in Jerusalem. They knew that as soon as Jesus was identified as the Lamb of God, from day one of his ministry, it was all pointing towards a time when he would die on a cross in Jerusalem. So that's the second thing. Jesus must suffer and rise from the dead. Firstly, everything that the Bible tells us about Jesus must come true. Secondly, Jesus must suffer and die and rise again. But what's the purpose of all of that? How are we to live that out in 2005? Well, Jesus tells his disciples, that in the light of his death and resurrection, one more thing must happen. Look with me at verse 46. Repentance and forgiveness of sins must be preached to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Friends, that's, that's an implication of Easter. It's not an optional extra. Jesus said, because I died and rose again, this must happen. You've got to tell people about my death, and my resurrection. Life can't go on without people knowing about this and understanding this. Just for a couple of minutes as I close and before we come to the communion table, how this applies to you and to me this morning depends on where we stand. Some of us have already responded to what Jesus did and what he achieved at Easter time. We've repented of our sins and we've known what it is to be forgiven. This passage tells us that we aren't to stop there. Now our job is to pass the message on, to take the message of Easter and to take it to all nations. That's always going to be a focus in our individual lives and in our church life. Passing on the good news of Jesus Christ. You'll see here that Jesus says, it's a message that's to go to all the nations. And that's why we're involved in world mission just before i came into the service i received a prayer letter from joe and ruby black for a work that goes on in north india because we believe that people need to hear about jesus and his death and resurrection in north india but you'll see as well that jesus says we've got to begin in jerusalem so the disciples weren't to just run off to the other ends of the world and forget about their, their own patch. And that's, of course, an important reminder to us. If all of our missions work is focused on, on, on Asia and Africa, but we fail to, to speak to the, our neighbors in the streets around, then, then we aren't quite carrying out what Jesus has told us to do. Ballyhackamore and beyond. Let's bring the good news of Easter and of Jesus to all. That's really the application of this passage for those people who already have trusted Jesus and responded to him. But, but some people here this morning maybe haven't ever taken the opportunity to do that, haven't yet repented and turned our lives over to him, haven't experienced that, that wonderful experience of forgiveness, knowing that our lives are pure and acceptable to God. Until now, we maybe haven't really celebrated Easter. It could be that there are people here this morning who believe the Bible, maybe believe all the stuff that we've been talking about here this morning, about Jesus dying on the cross and Him rising from the dead. But we've never taken that as as personally important to us could I encourage you again this morning as I do time and time again in this pulpit to receive Jesus for yourself to understand that his death was for you that his rising from the dead has massive implications for you because he died all all that stands between you and God has died with him Your sin is taken care of. Because he rose again, you can rise again from your own death, whenever and however that comes. Friends, Easter isn't isn't just a, a passing season of the church. It's something that's already changed a lot of people's lives gathered here this morning. And it's something that that can change life for you if it hasn't already done so. Let's join together and let us pray.